wasn't sure if this was another, oh man, I forgot my spare clothes at a baptism. <laughs> Let's give him a hand, hey? <laughs> this is actually my spare shirt. Um, I was a bit hot, so I changed over, so well done, Matt. Um, that's, that's, he's a, a worst nightmare, is um, to, to have the speaker disappear or not turn up, and then you've got to come up with something, but... Um, I was on tonight, so uh, let's just pray first of all. So Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for your presence among us. Lord, I do pray that you would fill this place with your presence. Lord, I want to speak against anything that would want to come against what you're wanting to do uh, tonight. And uh, Lord, would you protect this place as well? Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd breathe upon these words, and that you would touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a, uh, a good series, um, looking at the, the identity that we have uh, in God. And um, that's, a, that's about the first and, and the only cool um, uh, slide that I have, because uh, I think Haley did it for us. Um, but I've got two others, and they're not quite like that, but that's okay. Uh, have you ever had those moments where you're kind of going through life, and you do something, you make a decision, and then there's this, this kind of like, why did I do that? This, this kind of self-analyzing uh, that happens. Uh, I, I have, I'm doing that less now, uh, but that used to be quite characteristic for me, is that I would make a decision, and then either in the middle of that decision or uh, at the end of the decision, I would start to critique that decision, and uh, in the sense of probably wasn't the best thing to do. Um, it was particularly when I was on my motorbike, uh, I d- would do that a lot. I would see a, a jump, and uh, something would just move on that accelerator there. Uh, I remember going down. I was in Togo. We we're in a, a really remote area, and you've got to go through a valley, which um, it was kind of down the side of a mountain into the valley, beautiful valley, and then back out up the top. But it was it was fun on your motorbike. It was the type of one that goes. Uh, it was a dirt road, and it goes. It's so steep that it curves back and forwards and back and forwards. I don't know, a mate of mine, and uh, we loved riding together, and he pulled out in front of me and sprayed me with rocks as he, as he went past, and I thought, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. Um, so on one of those turns where it kind of goes back like this, I could see the next kind of run down below a bit, um, and I thought, I can make it. And uh, I, just, I just went for it and kind of went off the side and... Uh, I made it, which was, which was good. But I remember kind of being in the air, um, kind of heading down towards it, and, and it kind of turns like that again. So if you keep going, you kind of keep going off the... Yeah, it's not a, not a, good, um, not a good way to do it. Um, but in the middle there, I was kind of critiquing myself. Like, what in the world are you doing, Andrew? Like, that is, that is nuts. And, and then you're, you're processing and you're trying to process, okay, if I hit here, I'm going to hit a tree. If I hit here, if I don't stop here, I'm going to go over the side. Our brains are quite incredible, aren't they? Uh, there's, there's two parts of our brains really activated there. There's, the, there's the, that midbrain, which is kind of that, uh, that do-before-you-think type brain, um, which, which caused me to jump. And then there's that frontal brain, which is meant to switch in before your midbrain can actually take over, um, that analyzes stuff and it looks forward to the future, looks at consequences. 
And that frontal brain that we have is, is quite incredible. It, uh, it enables us to, to pre-plan stuff. It enables us to see into the, fut- into the future or, or project ourselves into the future. We can even project ourselves into a conversation and think, if, if I was to say this to this person, this is probably how it would make them feel. Um, it enables us to have moral judgments and uh, quite, quite incredible things that we're able to do as human beings. That makes us quite a lot different from other, um, other animals. Think of my... Um, my kids, Yabby, and their fish. Now, there's, there's quite a distinct difference between uh, one of us and one of them. Uh, we, we, can, we can kind of see that. And then we've got, we've got dogs, uh, Coco, escape artist. Um, he, he's a bit different. He, like, he, he, he loves me in some way. Um, he kind of knows right and wrong. For, well, I, I, he, he knows when I tell him that something's wrong or yell at him or use a voice which, which he knows is wrong. He, he, he can remember that. But it's, it's very hard for him to extrapolate that to, across to other things as well. He's, he's a bit limited in his frontal lobe capacities. Um, he's our pet, and it makes sense for me to have a dog as a pet. makes sense for us as humans to have uh, horses and cows and chickens and all those type of things to do work for us, uh, but it would be unusual to have a human as a pet. Um, quite, quite unusual. There's something about humans, isn't there, that would make that, uh, would make that wrong. Uh, and uh, even to have them as, as an object that, that works for us without pay, that would be called a slave, and um, we found that that is wrong as well. But uh, that, that hasn't been the way it has been for, for centuries. Uh, there's been slavery and, and, in fact, the idea that we currently have about humans is actually quite, quite new in a way. Think back to Jesus' time, the um, Greco-Roman world, and you had all sorts of stuff going on there. Life was uh, not, very, not very valued. Some life was valued, but definitely not all of life. You had uh, people being killed for sport. You had uh, people were were dying often uh, through illness and war. And we have this this thing that would happen, which um, they would they would have babies who would be unwanted, and they would leave them out to exposure, leave them out on the garbage dump if they didn't want them. And this was. That was quite common, in fact. Uh, this, is, this is a letter that survives, and it was from a Ro- Roman soldier to his wife who was living in Egypt at the time. And, and just, this is written in 1 BC. Just listen to the, um, just how flippantly he speaks here. He says, Know that I am in Alexandra. Uh, I ask and beg you to take good care of my baby son. And as soon as I receive payment, that's a payment for his um, soldiering, his work, I shall send it up to you. If you are delivered, she was pregnant at the time, if you are delivered before I come home, if it's a boy, then keep it. But if it's a girl, discard it. Discard it. This was a, 
legally okay, it was morally acceptable. This was a different world and a different time. There's something that came in that absolutely transformed the world as we knew it, the world that we, as we know it now. It, it had such a, a revolutionary impact. It was, it was Jesus, but it was Jesus carrying truth as well. We, we already had this, this truth in the uh, Judaic kind of uh, worldview, but Jesus embodied this truth. It's, it's the truth of that we are made in the image of God. That single truth, that humanity, all of humanity is made in the image of God, sent ricochets throughout the world and has changed the world forever. Think of human rights. The only reason why we, we actually believe and think of human rights and think that is normal and right is because of this worldview that humans are made in God's image. Um, I've got a, a uh, video from our, our good friends at the Bible Project. Well, not really my friends, but I feel like it. I listen to them so much. Um, so I, I, I couldn't have said it better, so I'm going to uh, put that up on the screen now. And uh, they've got a little video looking at the image of God. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. That's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. Wait, so he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering, 
and a lot of injustice. So maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. Excellent. That was helpful. Um, I was just, it amuses me when, when they're looking at our, the way we've ruled and made good things. What do they pick? Pizza, uh, toilet paper, and a soccer ball. There we go. Um, so what we see there is that this concept of, um, of being an image of God, it, it, it really started even before um, uh, right, right back in the ancient time when we're looking at the Egyptians and other cultures and their, their rulers would rule as gods in a sense and they would create these statues out in their external provinces where they couldn't be which would be images of them uh, uh, indicating their, their rulership and their, their authority in these areas. So this idea of human beings being made or, or being images of God uh, it was, was really not a new concept. What was new was who are the images of God and that, that they, the who, the democratisation of that, that that spreads to absolutely everyone 
that message changed the world. That it wasn't just kings and queens, it wasn't just rulers, that every single living and breathing person is made in the living, in the image of God. One of the main verses that uh, talks about this is, is uh, in the very first few pages. It's on um, Genesis chapter 1 and it starts in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the animals over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and on birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. When we look at what that means, uh, that video started to explore some of the, some of the, the, the ways that we interpret this. Uh, interestingly, it, it doesn't actually, in, in many places, really flesh out what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, but we can make some inferences and, and look through uh, some of the, the wider story to get a picture of what this might be. As scholars have, have really wrestled with this question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What is it to be an image-bearing creature? Uh, there's, there's three R words that's often used, and the first one is resemblance. So, so this is the idea that in, in some way, not that our physical form resembles God. That's, uh, that's actually what the, the Mormons uh, would believe is that uh, God has a, a physical form like us. That's not necessarily, that's not what we believe. It's more talking about our, our, our capacity. Um, it, there's a resemblance there. That we have this ability to be able to create. To be, not to create out of nothing but to create out of what is already there and to bring uh, beauty and to bring usefulness about. Uh, this is this is we have free will as well. We can. Uh, this is this is free will. Not only we we can make a choice. So it's it's not just hormones. It's not just instinct that drives us. We can actually weigh decisions and choose uh, different paths. So there's uh, there's that. There's there's the sense of of re- resemblance, which is one of them. The other one which was talked about a lot in that video is that we were made to to represent God as well, to subdue, uh, to rule the world on God's behalf. So there's there's that as well. There's representation and uh, and then there's resemblance. And the last one, there seems to be some relational component here as well. We as humanity have been made in the image of God. And what we see coming through as we work through the Bible is that we were actually uh, made in the image of God, who's a God who is in relationship, a triune God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And something of, of what he embedded into the creation is that relationship as well. We get pictures of that when it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, 
he created them. Male and female, he created them. Similar but distinct, he created them. Male and female. And there's a, there's a, a, a deep relationship that God has created in, uh, in, in marriage when, 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 a, when a man and a woman comes together in marriage. It represents something of the image of God. It would be a, an overstatement to say that uh, you, you have to be married to image God. Uh, Jesus was the, the ultimate image bearer of God and uh, he, was, he was definitely not married. But there's something in that relational aspect of, of who he created us to be, to desire relationship, desire relationship with, with one another and desire a relationship with God as well. That is part of what it is to be image bearers of God. There's a, uh, a theologian called N.T. Wright, and I love the way he speaks about this concept of being made in the image of God. You see, what, what he realizes is that it's getting at a word picture. It's getting at, uh, this is, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a little, it's a difficult to grasp in a way. Uh, the, the writers seem to, to, to grab at, at pictures here of what it might be like, and he has a, a, another word picture. He, he talks about a mirror, that to be uh, an, an image bearer of God, it's, it's like being a mirror. But, but not in the sense that normally with a mirror you kind of use it to look at yourself. Um, but he's not talking about us being a mirror in that sense. It's not us reflecting back, to, but it's, it's, it's kind of like an angled mirror. Like a, a mirror that's set like this. So in a sense, we are to reflect God's rule and, and God's character to the, to the world and the earth. And, uh, and we're actually to reflect back to him on behalf of creation, uh, praise and worship. So here we, we reflect to the world his, his rule and his, his character and we reflect back to God. Um, so that's, that's who we were meant to be. We're meant to be these, these image bearers, like mirrors. Um, we kind of know what happened. What happened is we didn't do a very good job of... Um, of being image bearers and there's a sense in which our decision to say, no, God, you know what, I, um, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, we're not going to do what the, the way that, that you want this world to be run. We're going to be an angled mirror our way and it brought brokenness into this world and that brokenness is part of us and has affected us as well. Let's give it a go. Okay. Aha! Now we're not recording this, which is probably good, because if Dwayne sees this, um, so you can't see that, that, but that's badly broken. Okay, but there's there's a sense here in which I can still see myself. Like, have a look at this. Can you see yourself there? Yeah, pretty good image. Not really. No. It's a bit marred. You know, I, I, I love this. Ooh, don't stand up here. Um, they warned me about this. There's a, there's a sense in which this is a real picture of who we are, actually. 
because we, we can actually see something of God in all of creation, something in God in, in, in being a human. We're, we're not all, well, we're broken, but there's still something that still reflects the image of God in every human. And yet, there's this deep brokenness. This, this really, like that type of brokenness. Okay? And, uh, and what we can do is we can start to try and, hmm, start to try and put ourselves back together a little bit. Um, but it's just not going to work very well, is it? Not even if I get sticky tape and, and try and do it. Uh, the angles are, even if the angles are off even slightly, it still gives a wrong image. So what we have is we, we have Jesus coming down. And he comes down to be the perfect reflecting mirror, the perfect image bearer of God. And what he, he comes down to show us what that would be so that we can put ourselves back in alignment with him. So kind of we've, got a, we've got a proper mirror, we've got all the angles right here so we can kind of start to imitate that. But as I, as I said, it doesn't matter how much we, we kind of try and put ourselves back together, it, it just doesn't quite work. And that's why God actually promises something different. He promises this. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says, but we all with unveiled faces. That little phrase there, unveiled faces, it's actually referring to believers. It's um, those who, who do, do not know God. They've got like a veil over their face. And when we step towards God and, and he takes that veil off us and we start to see him for who he is. But we, with unveiled faces, we can start to see him. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So we, 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 when we look to Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So God, Jesus is the perfect image bearer. And we, when we look at him with unveiled faces, he starts to... Uh, Form us and, and, and repair us, in a sense, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this is the, the work of the Spirit. And what he does is as these parts, and it takes a lifetime, more than a lifetime even, as these parts start to come back together, and we'll, 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 we'll notice this in our lives, we, the big Christian word is sanctification, with this ongoing transformation that he does in our lives. These parts start to get together, come back together, but the Holy Spirit does something he kind of injects a divine spark. And that divine spark actually, it, it, it fuses those mirror bits together as if they weren't ever broken. In fact, it's better than that. It's mirror pieces with a divine spark. We become a mirror indwelt by the presence of God. Become a new creation. This idea of humanity being built in the image of God, being made in the image of God, it, it totally transformed the, uh, the world that Christians walked into. This, uh, the idea that we have been uh, being reformed and made into the image of God, a, a renewed image of God as Christians, means that we are those who act in a way that trans- helps transform this world as well. 
The other day I, I came across uh, these five things in a book that I've been reading and uh, they, they came to mind again because this idea, uh, Adrian, we'll just come to the next one now. This idea of the image of God and the way that it absolutely transformed humanity is seen in these uh, five distinctives of the early church. This is a guy, he did some, a lot of research, he found, he was asking the question, what is most distinctive? What was what were the early Christians known for and hated for at the same time? What, what was so distinctive about them? First one is a very high value of what we call diversity, equality, inclusion. Uh, that was that was crazy different. Like that was uh, to, to have people from all different backgrounds and, and uh, even to have Jews and Gentiles worshiping and praising this God together. That was absolutely countercultural. Second one, which, which could have even been more countercultural, is this, um, this valuing across socioeconomic divides. So you, you see Paul speaking about this into don't, don't put the rich people down the front of the church. Um, we're, we're all one in Christ. It's absolutely uh, turning upside down culture at the time. This third idea of. Um, Sex being between one man and one woman for life until death do us part. That, is, that was revolutionary. It, it was absolutely changed the ancient world. Uh, and, and Paul dealt with that as he talked to the churches. This was not only difficult for uh, the, the world in which the church was in, this was difficult for the church. Uh, there, was, there was all sorts of stuff going on. Um, it was not uncommon to have uh, your wife and then a, and another or a few other sexual partners. It wasn't uncommon to still go to the temples where there would be temple prostitutes there. And this idea of being made in the image of God and being a, a temple of the Holy Spirit, it started to, to transform the way they lived in, in regards to their sexual ethic as well. It wasn't popular. The fight against this exposure of infants um, because Christians believe that, that uh, all people were made in the image of God. Uh, this, this practice of, of if you didn't want a baby, you would leave them out. Uh, that was no longer uh, to, be, to be pursued and, and they uh, worked to, to saving these babies as well. They used to be taken and taken into slavery sometimes, all sorts of different types of slavery. They used to be sometimes eaten by wild animals. And they'd come and they'd save them. And then this fifth one, which is not really talked about all that much anymore, but this unwillingness to be um, in, in the military um, as a follower of Jesus. This comes up uh, right throughout the, the early writings, especially in the Roman historians, that are, are quite cranky at these Christians for not being willing to go and fight in wars. Because the, the early Christians believed that they were a prophetic people, that they were, um, that it would be not right for them to take the life of another image bearer. So that is, has, um, has remained important in some uh, traditions, especially the Anabaptists. Uh, in other traditions, it's, it's kind of waned. And um, I, I, so these beliefs were both unpopular; they were bizarre. And uh, they were hard to understand. They were subversive in the time. 
What's interesting is that they didn't tell the world that they they had to conform to their beliefs. That their, their beliefs, our our beliefs, being made in the image of God, is is completely countercultural. Um, but what they did is they they lived as a, as a prophetic people. They lived as a people that lived differently. And that remains today, that we are called as God's people to live as a people who live differently, who believe that, that everybody was made in the image of God, and that should mean that we, we live differently. We live as a, a, a prophetic people. It's interesting that these, <clears throat> those five things there that were distinctive of the early church are starting to become, uh, they, were, they were very well accepted. The Western society was really uh, based on that. And it's, it's starting to transition now to being not so popular again. Uh, to, to hold some of these views is, uh, is becoming uh, less and less popular. I, I think especially of the, uh, the third one there and the fourth one there. I just going to that fourth one, I find it really, really interesting that we've got this little, little um, baby girl, Cleo, and uh, the whole nation was... Um, was, was desperate and hoping that she'd be found alive, and she was found alive. Uh, huge amounts of resources were spent looking for this little girl, and, and I think that's a, a good thing. And, and the reason why we did that is because of the value of life. It is so valuable. And we look with horror at, at the ancient practices of, of leaving little babies a day out of the womb or, or up to a year out of the womb to be eaten by wild animals. And yet our culture goes... If we go just a little step before, when they're not out of the mother's womb yet, then that's okay. Don't think that's okay. And I think it would grieve the heart of God. Because those little ones are made in the image of God. And there's an ethic that we believe that all humans are created in the image of God changes the way we look at stuff. It means that people might think that what we believe is bizarre or strange or ancient. Guess what God has said is good. We've got this, um, that third one, sex being between one man and one woman for life until death do us part. We all have disordered desires. Desires that are, are, are not in alignment with what God has said is good. And uh, what we need to do when we have those disordered desires is part of following Christ as being a, a Christ-following people is to come into alignment with what he says is good. To embrace disordered desires in regards to sexuality is to, is to embrace a lie and to bring about harm for us. God says that his ways are good. And one of, the, one of the things about being a Christian is that we trust him and we fight against our disordered desires. This was the original uh, right back in the garden when we said as human beings we'll define good and evil. And uh, it made a mess of things. It made a mess of us. It made a mess of humanity. And Jesus comes and he shows us what it's like to be a, an angled mirror 
reflecting God. It, it tells us how to be that mirror. And when we align ourselves with that, what we do is, is, is we reverse, in a, in a sense, what we said in the garden. And we said, no, we're not going to define good and evil for ourselves. We're going to allow, allow you, Jesus, to define good and evil. Even if it's different to this world. Even if it's different to the, to the disordered desires that raise up in my broken heart. I'm going to submit to your desire for me, for what you say is good. thought I'd end with this. This is something, um, someone speaking about a, a critical issue in our time at the moment. And it's a, a quote that I want to read. At a time like this, Christians need, they need the courage to defend a true vision of human flourishing based on the biblical understanding of being made in his image. We must avoid trite explanations and knee-jerk reactions, but we must continue to say that since God made us, he gets to ultimately say, he gets the ultimate say in who we are. We must put steel in our spines. But all the conviction in the world won't matter if we ask or speak without compassion. Jesus did not aim to win debates. He sought to love people. So we must, as his followers, as we ground our convictions in God's unchanging, perfect word, we must speak with compassion in our hearts. Later goes on to talk about being like birds with two wings, one with grace and one with truth. He says if we drop any one of those wings, we fall to the ground. Grace and truth. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we thank you that you have created us. Jesus, we thank you that you come and you have shown us what it is like to be a true image bearer. Lord, we we thank you that you have enabled us to be able to come before your throne room, to be made new, to to be new creations. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is within us, who is transforming us into your likeness. Lord, as we, as we move in this world that is slowly moving away from these, these, some of these key principles in which is, is truth and reality, Lord, would you give us strength to be a prophetic people? And Lord, would you give us courage to die to self as those disordered desires rise up in our hearts? May we submit to what you have said is right. May we be a courageous people We live prophetic lives to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.